0: This episode is brought to you by The Sinner. From executive producer Jessica Biel, The Sinner is a limited series event that begins with an unsettling and heart-wrenching crime, parents murdered by their young son. But the sins of a child are never his alone, and beneath the surface of a seemingly normal small town lie very dark secrets. You will know who, you will know how, but you won't believe why. Bill Pullman, Carrie Coon, and Tracy star. The Sinner returns with a new story Wednesday, August 1st at ten nine central on USA Network. Wind gap. There's a murder there. Another one's missing now. Get me a story. Bad, oh, Mama.
1: Goodness, I didn't expect you. The house is not up to par for visitors. I'm just in town on business. What kind of person does that? Hurt a child. Doesn't help anything. Riling folks up. You got two mutilated girls on your hands. Someone else is doing the riling. I didn't come back to cause any problems. Everything you. Back on me. Mama says I need to be careful around you. Are you dangerous?
0: Hello, and welcome to Still Watching Sharp Objects, an unofficial podcast about the HBO series, Sharp Objects. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson.
2: And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson.
0: Each week we break down the latest episode and occasionally feature interviews with the people who worked on the show itself. This week we have an amazing conversation between Richard and the lovely Elizabeth Perkins who plays Jackie on the show. Uh, we're also doing something a little different with this series, uh, that we're covering still watching because there is a book that goes along with the show. We have a little book reader spoiler section at the end of the episode. We've had a few questions, complaints, comments, concerns about the way in which we let you know that we are going into spoilers or how much we we will be spoiling. So let me just say right now, we will spoil everything and anything in that spoiler section. So if you are in there in that section at the end of the episode, you're in there at your own risk. That being said, we're going to do a little bit better job this week of letting you know that we're in the spoiler section by including some kind of sound effect. I am, I'm hoping for pig sounds richard dune hopes
2: i'm hoping um, for pigs and i think you know yeah. we we should apologize because i guess we had been saying we're moving into the spoiler section in a sort of patricia clarkson purr and we should have <laughs> been more loud more, more, more loud about it um because some people were not happy um and also yes stressing also that we will be discussing literally Who whodunit uh yeah. so if you don't want to know that or um steer clear
0: but I also, know, we did get some emails from people who were like, cause I, I kind of called out in the spoiler section last week that we, we, uh, I knew that there would be some people listening to the spoiler section who hadn't read the books. And I got some email from people being like, yep, I'm one of those people who hasn't read the books, but listen to the spoiler section. And, and like for some people, um, like a, a mystery, a murder mystery of who done it, like it actually, they actually prefer to know who did it because then they are like less anxious about it. So, um, you know, if you want to join us in the spoiler section, Feel free, whether you've read the books or not, but be warm, we will talk about everything and anything. So, before we get to that, before we get to your emails, I just want to say that we will be in the non spoiler section discussing everything leading up to Episode 4, Ripe, directed by Jean-Marc Vallée, written by Vince Calandra, Jr., uh we do have a pair of listener emails that I wanted to just uh dip into really quickly. You can always email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. That's still at gmail.com. And the first email comes from Samantha who pointed out something that I hadn't a connection that I hadn't made in previous episode fix. She says uh, one thing you pointed out helped me build a connection to a previous episode, the lipstick. You noted how Camille is quoting her mother without ever quite believing it as she tells Alice about how to apply lipstick. And it made me think of the episode where young Camille sees her sister at the funeral. Young Camille becomes fixated on wiping the lipstick off her sister's corpse. Corpse, which I now see as an act of defiance against the picturesque child her mother tried to create. Um, I hadn't thought about that. There's also, uh, I think a moment before Camille goes to the house in the very first place, she puts lipstick on. Um, yeah. and so, yeah, this idea of femininity as dictated by Adora, I think is a, is an interesting through line of the show.
2: And of course, there's that famous wind gap, uh, saying you can put lipstick on a hog. <laughs>
0: But they it'll still it be hot <laughs>
1: exactly
0: oh <laughs> uh, exactly and there there's also this this question of hair length and femininity, we got that we, we we returned to it a little bit in this episode, but we got to hear about how ann Nash sort of in defiance of her mom wanting to put her hair up and her sort of like chopped all her hair off. And we see in the flashbacks, we see Camille both with long wavy hair and with short cropped hair. Um, so this idea of if you, I think there's, I know, I know there's a section in the book where she talks about, like, if you're a true wind gap girl, you have your hair curling all the way down your back, which we see in a lot of the young women, including, like, Emma and her two friends and stuff like that. So, like, for a girl to cut her hair off is a huge act of, of rebellion in wind gap. So, uh, and then we got an email from Natalie Muskin Press, who, uh, I believe is, uh, said she's a psychiatrist, she's a therapist. And so, uh, is, is far more qualified than you or I, Richard, to talk about some of the. How uh, dare you. <laughs> psychological. I have been
2: in therapy for
0: years.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, the one thing she, she said, it's a great long email. I'll just pull out a couple points. One of my favorite ones that she mentions is. She says, the first thing I want to praise about the show is how well they visualize the experience of being triggered, the images, relationships, emotions, and everything, the warm embrace Camille has with Emma that leads to the hint of a sister relationship she had with Alice that ties back to her relationship with the sick Marion, the flash of a clear leg, the image of a girl leaving a doorway, the toilet, just the general emotional feeling of being out of control. Um And... Uh, you, we get that in this episode there's something with a bug like i i read this email and then i watched this episode again and there's this moment with a bug in episode four uh ripe that sends camille sort of reeling back and i was like yeah that bug's a trigger for her like a weird uh yeah a uh, surprising trigger i guess uh, i have
2: some thoughts on that bug too but we'll we'll get to it
0: okay great we'll get to the bug um
2: the Bug Corner, Richard's Bug Corner, the new <laughs> <Richard>. segment.
0: <laughs> please join us for Richard's Bug Corner. Uh, and if you're listening and you're uh, an entomologist, not to be confused with an entomologist, please do write in and tell us all your bug thoughts. Um, but. The second part that that this email points out is the Adora and Alan relationship, which of course we get a lot more of in this relationship uh, in this episode as well. But she says uh, it's not surprising that someone like Adora, who needs to feel fragile when it suits her, but is really rock hard underneath, has attracted and kept around a man who seems eager to be a silent supporter and caretaker. But the reality is that Adora is unable to reciprocate the love and care Alan shows her. He has dedicated his life to coddling her and playing second fiddle. But in the moment where he feels a sense of tenderness and looks to expand on it by staying with her, she shuts him out literally by not letting him stay. His silent screen was a great reminder that she damages everyone she touches with her demand for love and affection that she is completely unable to return to another person. Um so yeah, this this expansion of Alan I'm super interested to talk about, especially in this episode. Um but something that I wanted to say more broadly before we get into the specifics of what we get from him here is um it's reminding me it's so expanded from the book. Um and it's reminding me of what big little lies did with um adam scott's character this sort of like frust em- frustrated a masculine like like an emasculated husband of a commanding woman and how that's explored what do you what do you think of that
2: yeah i mean i think it's tricky any time you say you know particularly with a male director and in this episode a male writer like where you're adapting a book about women, a story very deeply about the way women relate to one another. um, And you're like, but the man should be a bigger part, you know? Right. Um I think that you get into, but I think that like that email said, and like this episode shows in expanding Alan's, you know, sort of role in the story beyond what it is in the book. It really, what it does is tell you more about one of our central figures in Adora. So, um, he is still, even though he's getting a little bit more of his due, he's still in service of this, um, the story, this story of women.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because in the book, I think, um, Gillian Flynn does this really, Interesting thing where the men are periphery, but they're so periphery. And, um, I think that works really well in the book. It's just surprising how periphery the men are to the female character of the book. And I, I hear you. It's like, well, do we need to make room for the men, uh, in this? If this is a female fronted show, do we make room for women all the time in, in male fronted shows and stuff like that? So you know, the answer is certainly no. But, um, I think the way in which Alan Vickery, uh, Detective Dick, and I think even like Kirk Lacey are expanded in this all to show how they are counterparts for our, our trio of main women, Emma, Dora, and Camille, and how uh, those three are connected in terms of their relationship to to men. This episode is brought to you by USA Network's limited series, The Center. Look out on our feed later this week as USA brings you the first installment of Still Watching The Center, sponsored by USA Network, in which Emma Stefanski and Matt Singer discuss the first episode of the new season, the shocking twist at the end, and everything it implies for the season ahead. After this week, you can find new episodes of Still Watching The Center as bonus content at the end of Still Watching Sharp Objects, as well as the next season of Still Watching. Let us get right into it uh so I, I at the end of last week's episode camille throws the the music player out the window and we're like yes a tribe for camille this is a catharsis yeah. she has rid herself of a ghost and then the episode picks up with her going to fetch the music player it's pretty
2: funny because <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like a little bit it's like one of the the series is like biggest jokes so far you know because it's this dramatic moment and it's tethered to this like the, that the whole last episode is about you know this flashbacks to the, her friend who killed herself and then this episode is like no she's back on her bullshit she's just, she's like still doing this nothing has changed
0: yeah and i mean it's um it's very realistic you know like two steps forward one steps back or whatever yeah. when that was when it when the first time i watched the episode through when she popped up out of the grass i was like did she just like get out of her car and stumble and pass out in the grass and then I realized that she was like looking for the player but um, yeah so that means the soundtrack is back the pressure's off DJ Allen he doesn't have to provide our full soundtrack though he does a, a pretty good job on this episode um, and then we we hop over to seeing both uh, Detective Dick and Chief Vickery waking up um, I really like this muttered line from Messina where he goes like shit still in wind gap as he looks mm-hmm. out the window and stuff like that um, but then we get this like morning routine from Vickery what did you what did you think it
2: made me think of Fargo, you know, where the husband, John Carroll Lynch, is making Francis McNorman the eggs, and she's like, Prowler needs to jump, like this kind of quotidian scene of a police officer going, uh, to work. But in this case, as opposed to Marge Gunderson, in Vickery's case, we really kind of don't like him. Uh, I mean, I guess this is an attempt to humanize him. We see that he's religious. We see that, you know, he has a wife who cares for him, whatever. But, um, his, his motivation and his, um, the sort of means he, employees to achieve that end i feel like are kind of our oppositional force in this at least in this episode do you agree am i reading that wrong
0: no, I agree with you. And I think some of the things like the, the religion feels to me perfunctory. You know, like yeah. he stands there. It's a thing that he does every morning, presumably, but it's, I don't like feel it the way that like, uh, remember when we talked about when we did the Versace episode, there's like a, a sequence there with a character and their religious experience. And you really feel that. And it here it's just sort of like, okay, he looks at the crucifix because he does it every morning and has done it every morning, you know, sort of thing. Right. Um, I, I think what's also interesting about this, scenario is how it presents um, his wife Jocelyn as this other kind of woman in town. You know, she's positioned in contrast to adora she's not hyper feminine she like gets up she doesn't like you know adora's flitting around her kitchen and heels every morning this woman is just like she got up she put on some patsy klein she makes him presumably this breakfast every single morning and she's just sort of like chugging along and doing it and being nice you know she's like please be safe out there all that sort of stuff but like she's not the hyper feminine doll perfect picture perfect uh thing that adora is and and i think that the episode reminds her of her like reminds like jocelyn's name gets brought up when he goes to see adora and then again when he goes to see jackie so it's just sort of like how's that wife of yours who like bolsters you up all the time but probably you don't spend a lot of time paying any attention to her yeah you know, yeah that's very true um and then we see adora wake up and she's mm-hmm. the fanciest lady in the whole world and all of these characters um i, I think i some interview i think that christmasina gave before the season started talked about how obsessed jean-marc valet became with fans so like if you're playing yeah. the sharp objects drinking game please take a sip a, a a responsible sip every time the camera lingers on a fan because from your this.
2: evian water bottle
0: yes <laughs> which is definitely has water in it and not mm-hmm. anything else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm um you know so so we see adora wake up uh alan is back on his record player bullshit and uh and then we get this like beginning of a really upsetting flashback to a chapter in camille's life um where which is her 15th birthday uh what did you think of all the things that we see here
2: um, You know, it's th- this whole the whole beginning of this episode, minus maybe the sort of Vickery getting ready stuff is kind of this jumpy blur between past and present. So I was a little confused about what was going on. Um, But obviously, you know, we've established that cheer uniform uh, Camille is pre short hair Camille, right? Do we think that? No, or post? She's post.
0: I I I actually am not sure I know because so when we no it's post because Marian's already dead yeah so it's post
2: right okay okay yeah okay so so that was one thing that confused me but but you know it's uh, as as everything with with LA and the show like these these dips back into memory um I like the the that reader who emailed and said it was you know it was showing tr- what it's like to be triggered um it's very effective and it makes me immediately want to like you know chase after that memory and have it fully explained which of course. Uh, It's not what this show or how memory necessarily works.
0: Right. So we see like uh, Camille feeling rejected by her mom. I think, I think Adora is like crying in Marion's room. Like she always does. And then we see young Alan uh, looking like Camille's in trouble, but actually he and and the uh, family like servant Gala. <clears throat> not servant made whatever uh have made a cake and like this is like a nice loving gesture and extension of like extending of affection for camille which is not something that i ever imagined the big book version of alan ever thinking of doing right uh no. and she just hardcore rejects it uh she's like no i don't have time um i like that you know we we talk a lot about the words that are hidden in the show this isn't a hidden word but i like that her cheer uniform says cavaliers on it because like that cavaliers is like a common like you know uh sports team mascot name but it's also like a a fun word to you know like i'm sure they chose like uh cavalier she's she is a little cavalier in this moment she's just like i don't have i don't have time for this um And then you cut from Gayla blowing out the candles to, you know, Amy Adams blowing smoke out a window, sneaking a cigarette in her bathroom. This show is so good. Like (laughs) it cuts like that are just so tremendous. Cause you don't, it does, he didn't need to do that, but he does. There's just like connective tissue everywhere. As we talked about last week, there has to be a crazy complex, uh, bulletin board somewhere with all the like, things that he's going to use to cross cut you know and
2: it should almost feel gimmicky and yet it doesn't somehow it feels artful um maybe because he he uses it just sparingly enough it's not like everything you know um but it's it just feels like this little like whiff of magic or something it's really cool
0: then we get the scene with Emma and her and her little hench uh women her little girls sidekicks um how, Richard, how would you apologize for shoving a lollipop in your sister's hair the night before?
2: By what Jesus would say, by shoving one in mine. <laughs>
0: Um, Emma, Emma decides to go with like peer pressure, like, sorry, I was showing off for my friends. Um, but if you're, if you're, once again, if you're playing the sharp objects j- drinking game, you might want to take a sip every time that, uh, Emma says, shut up jokes. Cause that's like her, <laughs> uh, <laughs> shut the fuck up Donnie line that she has, uh, in this series. So, um, you know, so she claims she's showing off for friends. They're doing like, you know, I guess what teenagers do, which is look at terrible, horrible mean memes about, uh, boys who have had their whose sisters have died uh and and there are memes circulate about them on the internet and you know it looks to me like Camille is ready to forgive Emma uh for this yeah
2: and I think it's also telling that um Emma says I was mad at you for blowing me off which like she didn't Camille didn't really blow her off exactly she just was kind of like i'm busy you know like she couldn't hang out with her you know kid sister um and that that was uh, Emma's reaction and uh, to this kind of like uh, we- overly perceived slight um you know it's like it's kind of it's, it's 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 odd you know it's creepy but that like she went from zero to you know that angry so quickly
0: um i don't know yeah, no, absolutely, and I the sound design on this sequence is so good because you hear the bottles clinking in Camille's bag, and it stressed me out so much—the sound of the clinking uh, in her bag. So I was like, if if they are dialing that audio up enough that like we're supposed to hear it, that means someone else is going to notice it, and I'm like preemptively embarrassed for Camille, mm-hmm. whoever's going to like comment on the clinking bottles uh, that she's smuggling out in her bag. So, um, then we get this like. Gr- <laughs> This great like if if you thought you had seen a lot of what Alan will do for Adora uh, this will you please cut my food smaller? Scene is a uh, is a next level sort of thing. So. Well,
2: this actually um, I little inside baseball. This is actually a Patty Clarkson thing. She has her meat cut for her every every meal. It's just you know it's <laughs> it's in her rider whether she's on a set or not. Um, and I respect her for it.
0: Have you ever had to do it for for Patty Clarkson?
2: Oh, many many times. Yeah, right. I mean we we both live in New York, so
0: right right. And she's just like Richard, please come over. Cut <laughs> yeah, my I'm food happy smaller. to do it. You know,
2: I'm allowed to chat with her. It's great. <laughs>
0: Um but Adora Adora begs off uh hanging out with the other with Jackie and the other women of the town because of that uh scratch she got on her hand earlier. And this is like just a masterclass in passive aggression from from Adora from Patricia Clarkson because like Camille's like, it's barely a scratch, and then Adora's like, maybe to you and you're like, Oh, <laughs> wow. Uh <laughs> and then as Camille walks out, uh Adora says in wind gap recyclables go out on Wednesday
2: so we're, good we're really see we and there's another crushing scene later in the episode we're really seeing like a kind of ratcheting up of adora's cruelness and yeah. you wonder i mean i would assume that that's because camille now has been around for a few days i'm I'm fuzz, a little fuzzy on the timeline but like she's been around and like maybe things are a little more comfortable and less you know sort of proper um she, you know camille's feeling less and less like a guest and so the real adora is sort of Revealing herself. And she clearly is someone who has driven her, her eldest daughter to a lot of strife.
0: Yeah, I mean, oh, my God. And so so Camille just does a silent sort of Alan-esque middle finger out in the hallway that her mom can't see. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's a... It's coming. Um, so yeah, so that happens. Then we see, uh, Vickery driving around and like the way in which like the townsfolk sort of wave to him, like his stature in the town. Um, and then we see him looking at the stop sign again. I think the same stop sign we already see him try to fix. Uh, or maybe it's a different one, but like there's a, there's a bullet, a, a seemingly fresh bullet hole in this. And he's like, God damn it. Uh, later in the episode, we'll see like who's shooting bullet holes in the stop signs in town. Um, but, what do you think of this like moment? Does it, does it mean anything to you or is it just to set that other thing up or? Um, it feels mostly
2: like set up. Um, it reminds me of when I was in a, tiny tiny Well, I was leaving a ghost town in the rural montana one time and driving down this like crazy dirt road down this mountain in in a rainstorm and every like there were like a couple stop signs we passed had bullet holes in them and we were like or they weren't they were like road signs or something and we were for sure thought we were going to be murdered um it's kind of an ominous thing to see
0: yeah Absolutely. Um, and it's an interesting thing though, because like the ways in which the young girls have been murdered have had nothing to do with guns, right? No. Like we see mm-hmm. a number of guns in this episode, but like, uh, you know, Ann Nash was like strangled with a clothesline. Um, you know, and so like these, these girls weren't shot. So, um, I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to like, introduce that element of danger without really connecting it to the murder. Just talk about the other, it almost makes it feel like the town is such a powder keg. That's how I feel every time I see those frickin' teens, those youths. I'm like, this whole place just like wants to go off, you know? Um, but of course, and we also saw guns in the flashback with like the hunting, with the boys, their hunting rifles and stuff like that. So, um, so there's that. And then there's this, like, interaction between uh Detective Dick and Vickery uh, when they're talking about John Keane. And this is, like, there's a lot in this episode that I think is trying to spread the suspicion around town. There's, like, yeah. John Keane, There's Bob Nash. There's all this other stuff. Um Like, what do you think about the way in which, like, because you and I, without spoiling anything, because you and I know who the murderer is. What do you think about the way in which the show is trying to, like... Uh, put up flags sort of all around town.
2: Um I mean I think it, it I feel like in 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 the text of the show it makes sense because there are a lot of viable suspects you know um in terms of how they were related to victims or or you know even certain behavior and and um I also think that like you know even though he's been busted in from Kansas City detective Dick is is not you know Columbo or he's not like you know Hercule Poirot like and certainly Norris vickery and so like they're going to kind of like dicker around and like try to figure stuff out you know um and and kind of like look under a lot of you know rocks um because you know it's the cases are 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 proving hard to crack so yeah i think that i think the show is being fair i don't feel like they're being overly misleading or anything uh you know just to like distract us from the 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 real answer
0: yeah and um you know to to further that we get like, we get a lot of John Keene in this episode. Um, he gets fired from preaker farms. Someone pointed up. So preaker is Camille's last name because, you know, like just, just a little family history to clarify, uh, like, Marion and Emma are Alan's daughters. Camille was, uh, Adora had Camille when she was younger before she was married to Alan. Um, and we get like a little bit more of that in their confrontation later in this episode, but like, so her last name, Preaker, is Adora's main name. And that's the family name. And that's why the hog farm is called like Preaker Farms or whatever. Yeah. Uh, because Krellin, which is Alan's last name, uh, is not the like, family money name which is what uh, adora comes from so oh, uh, okay. yeah so camille preaker preaker farms that's what that's all from uh we, we don't know who her dad is um but uh so john gets fired and later in the episode he sort of accuses adora of firing him i don't like i don't know that i know why adora would want to have him fired i guess just because there's like so much suspicion sort of clouding around him but um
2: yeah, that was a little confusing, but
0: you know, uh, just adds to his angst, his teen yeah. uh, brooding angst. Uh, and then we get the, we get uh, my favorite scene, and I'm not just saying that because Elizabeth Perkins is on this episode because uh, Jackie's here. This feels like the perfect place for us to go to Richard's interview with Elizabeth Perkins.
2: Well, I'm here on the line now with Elizabeth Perkins, who plays Wind Gap's favorite kind of boozy-floozy, <laughs> Jackie O'Neill. Elizabeth, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. I really appreciate
2: it. Yeah, Jackie is such a fun character, um, you know, in, in a show, but, but a dark character, too. And on a show that's so grim, it, it's really nice to have her occasional kind of cracking wit and levity. Is that, is that fun to play? <laughs>
1: Oh, absolutely. And yes, the show is very dark. The show is definitely, um, uh, sort of walking the downward spiral of a a woman who's really confronting her past and all that represents to her. And Jackie is sort of like the due machina that comes in and is saying, it's all going to be okay in the end, although maybe not. And... Sort of injects a little bit of, dare I say, humor into the situation, um, in that she's sort of raucous and drunk and um, is always offering a hug or a pat on the back, and um, I think it's sort of a welcome relief. Yeah, at times when she comes on the screen, and not because I'm playing her, but I think she offers a little bit of joy and hope.
2: Yeah, yeah, and then, which is necessary and. Um, now, tell me, were you familiar with this book um, before you kind of signed on to it? How did you come onto the project?
1: Um, I wasn't familiar with Sharp Objects at all um, when I got the call, and but I was very familiar with Gone Girl, um, who both of the books are written by Gillian Flynn, um, and of course, Gone Girl was turned into a fantastic movie. And, um, so consequently I went right out and bought the book and was really kind of shocked when I read it. Um, it's one of the first times I've really seen a female heroine that, uh, I can call Camille a heroine because she really does, is tackling her demons, and I think she does successfully. Um, but it, it was one of the first times I saw a deeply flawed, um... Leading uh, character study about a middle-aged woman, and um, was really impressed that Gillian was willing to take on those seriously dark aspects of the feminine psyche, you know, in relationship to her mother, in relationship to her sister, and more importantly, in relationship to herself. I couldn't put the book down, and was very excited to get um, the subsequent scripts that followed, that were all really. Beautifully put together by Gillian and Marty Knoxon and several other great
2: people. Yeah, it's got the show is just kind of a dream team in terms of pedigree behind the, the camera as well as in front of it. Um, and, you know, something that we've talked about on this podcast is how Jean Marc Valet's particular directorial style works so well for this show because he kind of, you know, flits back and forth in time with these kind of quick images, quick cuts, and it's a memory piece. So it really works for that. Um, but when you're filming with, with Valet, like, do you get a sense of that kind of collage or does it more feel like a traditional set? Because I'm just kind of curious about how he sews this all together.
1: Um, well, there's absolutely nothing traditional about Jean-Marc sets. And, and And as an actor who's been doing this for a really long time, um, it, it it's actually very jarring when you first get on a set with him because it completely erases everything you've ever known about filmmaking uh, because he is truly organic. A lot of people will say, well, I want this to be organic, and but with Jean-Marc, it's, it's organic down to we're not using lights, we're not rehearsing, we're not running lines, we're not blocking... I may be over there with my camera. I may be over here with my camera. I may be suddenly in the middle of your scene, be shooting a spider crawling up the wall. Your natural instinct is, as an actor, you sort of resist that until you realize that there's an enormous freedom in that. <laughs> and, and if you can allow yourself to sort of escape into the process of that, it, it's an, a very exciting thing uh, for an actor to sort of have that kind of freedom. Um, consequently, he somehow manages in this process to really grab the, the, the environment, you know, he grabs the smell, the taste, the sound, the temperature of, of every place he's in. And we were shooting in Southern Georgia, um, in the middle of the summer, it was unbearably hot. And, um, you know, the sounds of the locusts and the, the people sweating, you know, that was all real. And, um, you know, in this episode, when you've got Camille and Richard Willis walking through the swamps, you know, looking at the crime scene and, and the hunting lodge, you know, that's all real. And, um, you can feel it. Yeah. You can feel it in every shot. And that's, that's really a testament to him you know, really sticking to his process and, um, and, uh, and then knowing exactly how he's going to cut it together to give you, you know, that taste. And, um, I think it really works.
2: Uh, have you watched the episodes? And if you have, um, uh, have you been surprised by how everything came together or, or had it been communicated to you kind of ahead of time? Because, you know, it's, there's so many moving parts here in terms of all its check textures and sounds and all that. Um, So what does the final product look like?
1: Well, well, it's interesting because none of the scenes that we've done are complete in the final cutting together of the show. Everything is sort of truncated and um, pieced together, Um, but it's very reflective of Camille's thought process. And everything is from Camille's point of view and through Camille's experience. So as an actor, you're like, wait, that scene's not, that's not the scene we did. That's not what I said that way. I wasn't meaning that, but that's also something you let go of when you work with him is he's going to pick a point of view and he's going to pick the story that he wants to tell And ultimately, it's going to do justice to the story. So, um, it is jarring sometimes to see where his camera is or what he's chosen to point out in any given scene, but ultimately he's got a vision in his head and there's a through line there and that this is Camille's journey.
2: It really. The is. editing was is amazing, and in in this episode in particular, there's a lot. And um, so you have a couple great scenes in this episode. The first one being, um, you know, Adora is sort of playing sick with her cut on her hand, and so she sends Camille to this lunch, and it's you. And I
1: love the Be- cut. I love the cut on the hand oh, so much. It's so funny. I just love the cut on the hand. Yeah. It's the best. It's the best. Because I think she says to Camille when she um, when she cuts her hand, she says, "Look what you." She- made me do or look what you did to
2: look me what you did yeah
1: <laughs> when she cuts her
2: hand. it's insane
1: anyway go ahead uh
2: so do you have um what, what was shooting that that kind of um that lunch scene like because you know there's a lot of voices happening um and there's also a lot of kind of subtext happening in terms of camille trying to act casual but but really doing some reporting work trying to get some information about these women so um what was the approach to the scene when you, on the day you shot it? Do you have any particular memory of, of it?
1: Um, and what I love about the lead-in to that scene is Adora saying, you know, I'm giving them the gift that they enjoy the most, the opportunity to talk about me. And normally I don't think Camille at that at this point in her life would be like, oh, I'm going to go to dinner with the local Wind Gap Gossips. But Camille goes knowing that she's going to get information. And she's going to get sort of, what is the zeitgeist of the town? And who does the town think did this? Um, because they're the gossip queens. And, um, and, of course, they bring up Bob Nash, and they bring up John Keane, and they basically say, these are our two prime suspects. And um, I also think that there's a relationship between Camille and Jackie um, that goes way, way, way back. Yeah. And um Jackie is a very old family friend. And as this the series goes on, we sort of learn that Jackie pretty much knows everything that's gone that's gone on in the house, that's going on in the house. Jackie knows everything that's going on in town. I believe Vickery comes to her at the end of this and says, What are you not telling me? she's like, I don't know anything. But she absolutely knows everything. And, you know, it may have been one of the reasons that Camille got out. I mean, everything that's going on in town. I think that's one of the reasons that Camille agrees to go to the lunch. And Jackie's just numbing herself with alcohol. But the whole town is numbing themselves with alcohol. You know, Adora sort of sets the tone of, we don't talk about it but these women talk about it amongst themselves, just like their younger counterparts, the old cheerleaders do as well. You know, everybody's talking, but nobody's saying anything.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, there's a kind of, like, there's a codedness to it. You know, they're they're saying something, but they kind of are insinuating something else. And, you know, it's an interesting kind of way that um, certain, I think, small towns, small communities can operate. Um,
1: Absolutely. And Adora... Adora is the queen, you know. She's the, she's the woman who lives in the big house on the hill, and um, everybody's under her thumb. I mean, I think we learned in this episode how jealous Henry is of her relationship with Vickery, and she basically says to Vickery, "I could have you fired," and she could. You know, she runs the town. You know, it's it's you know it's Hog Farm, and the Grellins, and that's kind of it. And uh, she gets John Keene fired. And she says to Vickery, I could fire you too if I want to. And Jackie knows that. And she's definitely under a Dora's thumb as well. Everybody's under a Dora's thumb. She's a wildly wicked character. And just marvelously played by Patricia Clarkson. I mean, she's just yeah. this quiet. Which it's a very wonderful portrayal I and
2: mean, i'm riveted by her uh yo yeah absolutely. i mean everyone is it's, it's just a really well acted show um do you think that like in your kind of view of jackie is she scared of adora like do you have backstory that you create are you that kind of actor where you, you sort of need to know where your character came from or i'm just curious how well you know jackie i
1: think well i think um i think Every actor creates a backstory, whether they know it or not. Right. Um, and as a cast, we, most of the people in gap you know, we were sort of down in Georgia for six weeks, and we spent a lot of time, like, in the Holiday Inn bar, to be honest with you, <laughs> <laughs> and there was a lot of talk about, like, well, maybe da. you know, we would throw stuff out at John Mark, because, of course, this was a... a a smaller book that was then expanded to, you know, include all eight of these episodes. And, you know, what John Mark said to me about Jackie is, you know, that this is this is a very old relationship. And uh why doesn't Jackie say anything? Jackie obviously knows, so why doesn't she say anything? And maybe she will. Why hasn't she um I think that's based on her relationship with adora um, you see glimpses of it later on uh, what they were like when they were younger,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: dancing, drinking, being together, and I think there's a great love there,
2: yeah, and that's such a um you know the the show in the in the first episode. I believe Camila's asked twice if she has children. So clearly, that's such a value that this town, um, you know, has impo- imposed on women in, you know, in order to sort of like, you know, give them a full life or whatever. Um, so, yeah, Jackie does really stand Absolutely. out uh, uh, in the crowd among them. No,
1: and like eventually, right. Eventually, you come to, we come inside Jackie's house and there's a picture of herself hanging over the fireplace. So, this is a woman that, doesn't really have a life and definitely not a life that's been validated by the local wind gap gossips. Um, I think she was instrumental in Camille leaving town. And I think, you know, Camille leaving town, you know, before all of this went down, uh, was an important backstory. Yeah, you know what? What drove Camille out of Wind Gap in the first place? That's the story, and that's what she's coming back to um, confront. And this particular episode, which is called um, "Bright," you know, it sort of has Camille waking up in a in a field. Um, that's how the episode starts, and it's the whole episode for me. Sort of represents the essence of Wind Gap, you know, just like the day-to-day sweat and smells and taste of the town, the oppression of the heat and the monotony of the fans, you know, it's it's all an analogy for the demons that are surfacing in Camille's experience.
2: Yeah, and, and speaking of tone, um something I admire about your performance um, in particular, but, you know, the whole show is that, you know, we've seen this kind of boozy ladies who lunch kind of, you know, thing, or we've seen plenty of things about small town uh, Americans, and, and a lot of times they can kind of go into caricature, you know, and they can be kind of cartoony. And yeah. I think that this show and your performance don't do that, and... Uh, I'm curious how are, are you really conscious of trying to calibrate that, or is it just something that comes naturally? You know, but in the collaborations between actor and script and director.
1: Uh, well, this is all Jean-Marc. You know, I to be honest, think Jean-Marc sets the tone, um, and if if I have a tendency to go far, it's it's I love comedy. <laughs> And i I like my natural inclination is to be like, "Whoa" is to be hugely like large. It's just part of my personality, and um it's something I enjoy doing because i'm I'm very much an extrovert and I'm very loud, and um, John Mark, you know, he set is quiet, and you become sort of part of that world. And you'll notice that people are practically whispering in the show. Everything is very quiet. And so when Jackie yells out, Camille Preaker, it kind of cuts through everything. She tends to yell out. And it's why Adora says to her, you know, inside voice,
0: Jackie.
1: <laughs> Jackie has to be restrained because everything around her is quiet and and methodical, and, I mean, even the intonation of the way Patricia speaks, it's all very, like, monitored, and Jackie's just sort of like this live wire that's over there trying to kind of keep it up, Jack. check, and so she tends to be louder, and she tends to be um, probably the broadest person in town. You know, she's got a great accent. She dresses in color. Um, and everybody else is like Camille is one tone, and Adora is another tone, and even the, the the teenage girls are muted. And then you get to Jackie, and she's wearing these bright blues and reds and these yellows and these greens, and, um, and she's standing in this pool in this swamp, holding a dead plastic cup. You know, all those those details are really important to Jean-Marc, and they mean something to him. And um, I think Jackie is sort of the energy that's uh, being oppressed. You know, that kind of vibrant energy that um, really isn't allowed in Wingap.
2: Yeah, I mean, it really you really feel that sort of specificity uh, in in watching the show. Um, you know, and and I I think it's interesting the way that. Um, that, you know, Jackie being this kind of freer spirit, similar to Camille, but also similar to the two girls we're slowly learning as the episodes unfold, similar to the two girls who were murdered. I mean, that they were kind of these outliers and and everything. So the town definitely seems extremely hostile to any woman in particular who who kind of veers off of the, the tone set by Adora, which is a really interesting kind of sociological...
1: That's kind of it. And, you know, later on in the episode, you know, John Keene, when he talks about um, the hogs, it's kind of a, such a metaphor where he says, you know, the, the pigs know what is happening to them, and that's why they shit so much. And you just go, uh, okay, so first you said that, like, it's either the hogs or working for a Dora. But Adora owns the hog farm, and these pigs know what's happening to them, and that's why they're shitting themselves. It's such a metaphor for everybody else in town um, that there's really no way out. So the natural jealousy towards Camille is, A, you don't have kids. B, you moved out. And I sort of imagine you've been living in St. Louis in this mansion with, you know, a really rich husband and a couple of kids. And that's not what's happening at all, but, um, you know, everything in this episode is really a metaphor for the smell of wind gap, yeah. you know, and the oppression and why everybody is still there, you know, this is also the episode where Adora says all those horrible things to Camille, right? Where she says, you know, you were so willful. You were never sweet, and I I thought that you would save me, and you didn't save me. I thought that if you loved me, my mother would love me. I mean, that's all, like, deep, deep mother-daughter stuff, deep mother-daughter stuff, and it's that scene in the middle of this episode is like, okay, now we're really heading down the Adora Camille road. You know, you really get to see in this episode who Adora really is and the trip that she's laid on Camille. And she, and she said to her, you know, and, and now that you're and now you're back and all I can think of you smell ripe. I oh, it's mean, savage. <laughs> wow. <it's so> savage. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's it's grim stuff. But I, I before I let you go, I, I'm I'm curious about. I want to zoom out just a little bit um, because for me, I know watching this show, this grim show, during a particularly grim time in America, uh, at least for you know some of yeah. us, um, it's it's been a bit kind of cathartic to just kind of lean into the darkness a bit. Um, have you found that at all to be true, or do you see any sort of larger political dimension to the show?
1: Well, I do think that it's a very strange time in our country and, you know, with our president. And for me, art has always reflected politics mm-hmm. because politics is culture. And um, I think uh, this show in particular really is an examination of the underbelly. I think it's why we use hogs as a representation. Um, And I think that that's an important study um, in our culture right now is sort of this underbelly of what's really going on in this country, and I think um, the upcoming Calhoun Day Festival which the women talk about at the lunch, like, well, what are we going to do about Calhoun Day? Well, everybody in town's going to be there, um, I think is further examination. So for me, art is an important expression, if not the most important expression of political fervor. Um, and I think we're very representational all of that. I think, um, a lot of this is a lot of sort of the darkness that we're seeing with Handmaid's Tale and um other shows, I think are necessary. Um I do find myself every now and then going, God, I think I want to watch an episode of Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> 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 Absolutely. Like, why don't I watch some Golden Girls? <laughs> but um this show in particular, I'm 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 very proud of it. And um I do think it it examines a part of our culture, where where people are sort of afraid to be an individual, yeah. and there's a lot of groupthink uh, in Wind Gap um, that is very representational of uh, cultures in our country right now.
2: Well, amidst all that groupthink and darkness, we're 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 especially grateful to have Jackie and her uh, bright red cup. And we're grateful to have had you on the show. Elizabeth. I
1: know, uh, right?
2: Yeah.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. I really do.
2: Yeah, thanks for all your insight into the show. And we can't wait to keep watching. And uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe down the line we'll, ha- we'll get a Jackie spinoff and we can <laughs> talk all about that.
1: Yeah, Patty Clarkson and I are sort of hoping like the two of us have a spinoff where we just like argue with each other.
2: <laughs> I would. I would watch that three times a day.
0: <laughs> thank you so much i appreciate it thanks
2: Elizabeth. hi i'm michael Calori, the co-host of wired's gadget lab
0: and i'm lauren good the other co-host of wired's gadget lab get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations sparking movements and breaking barriers for over a decade The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterized the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its
2: origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large.
0: Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th.
1: Apple Card is the perfect cash-back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium, Apple Card, or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
0: It's brunch with the ladies. Uh, What did you think of this this brunch scene?
2: Well, I mean, we have to first... Give a, 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 you know, a witch's hat, a tip of the witch's hat to beloved old Aunt Zella, a Zelda from Sabrina the Teenage Witch, uh, Beth Broderick, who appears in this scene. Um, it was nice to see her. Um, yeah, I mean, this scene is funny. And I something that um, I talked to Elizabeth Perkins about is that the kind of character that Jackie is and these other ladies who lunch are. That's, you know, that's a fun meal for an actress and it can often sort of be cartoony or sort of inhuman and just kind of like too sozzled or too, you know, quick with the zingers and, you know, uh, just too, too, too approaching kind of uh, cartoonish territory. And I, and I don't think this scene does, it's funny and they're all a little bit outrageous, but like, I think that Perkins and everyone else kind of keeps it within the bounds of humanity, which is important um, for this very serious kind of grim story.
0: I think i like to watch uh, the thing I like about the Jackie character is like, we see her be not great to the waitstaff. And like, that's something that's like such a uh, a mark of character as far as I'm concerned. Like, you know, if you're if you're terrible to waitstaff, I think you're probably not the best person. But I was rereading some of the Jackie scenes in the book. And one thing that Gillian Flynn says, uh, or or Camille says as the narrator is like, you know, Jackie's not like, lovely warm human but she's always herself and Mm -hmm. so the way in which she's nice to camille does feel genuine because like she genuinely it's not she's not just putting on a like a 2 face act or whatever she genuinely does care about camille um in the book we learn that jackie like you know it was jackie who taught camille how to use tampons and it was jackie like jackie was just like a mother to camille in a way that adora was just unable to be and that's their relationship and i think you get that from like the tremendous amount of warmth um that elizabeth perkins gives off even if she doesn't give it out uniformly to everyone like she's terrible to this waitress for no good reason uh but is warm to camille and um that's that's some nice dimensionality she's not a sweet character but she's specifically nice to Camille and and that um that's something that Camille's so thirsty for you know that kind of affection the maternal connect connect like affection, um, and the other thing we should say is this once this is this once again like Camille trying to figure out suspects. which she's she's playing the reporter. She's like, I wonder what you girls think. Like that, yeah, that's yeah. that's some good like info digging. And they're like, Oh, Salicious gossip, salacious gossip. Uh, basically, John Keane, Bob Nash feel like the two prime
2: suspects. And one of them says she wants to make John Keane her like. Well, she uses some phrase like boy toy, but it's something actually a little bit grosser.
0: Yeah. Um. um yeah boy yeah i forget what it was but it's pretty gross <laughs> uh, and then like giggles girlishly about it so you know um yeah so i i really loved this this brunch scene i'm glad that a uh, that adora wasn't there so that camille could have this um this moment and we just get like some flashes of like dick looking at the john keen, the meme about john keen we see bob nash like watching all his children eat like little like You know, forgive me, like little piggies at the trough, like little, little mindless, you know, zoning out to the TV eating their cereal, which is like no criticism of children. But like, his whole thing was like, Anne was so lively and interesting and intelligent and his other children are just like, Children. Just
2: hogs. Know. Hogs Just for the slaughter.
0: A little hog heat uh, action there. Uh, and then we get this like, we get this <laughs> insane uh, little uh, sketch. It surprises me not at all that Emma would be a drama kid. oh clearly yeah obviously and she and her her uh two friends are doing this like uh zeke calhoun sketch that they put together uh for school and calhoun is like this is a figure that gets mentioned in the books but like is much more expanded uh in the show they're doing this whole calhoun day thing that seems like they're leading up to but uh, he's a confederate soldier that is like a you know, so that statue in the center of town is a Confederate statue. Um, so that's just, you know, and, and um, I think Ashley's cheer uniform says um, ZCHS. So it's like Zeke Calhoun high school and stuff like that. So this is like, this is the figure of their town. Um, there's been some, like, it's interesting to me because there's been some question, I think from people about whether or not Missouri counts as the South or like the middle of the country but i think if you have confederate soldiers in the middle of your town i'm going to i'm going to call Wind gap at least a southern town
2: yeah and it's southeastern missouri there is that little um kind of little like nodule on the southeastern tip of the state that kind of butts into like are the ozarks in arkansas and and um you know i've seen a documentary set there uh it's pretty southern in its Sort of culture and view of history, and uh, but you know, but also with the sort of Midwestern kind of, I don't know, expansive poetic poeticism kind of to it. I don't know, it's it's um, I haven't been to that part of the state, but um, I, I feel comfortable calling it the South, but please still watching pod at com if you agree or disagree.
0: Yeah, and I mean, especially the like Camille's uh, or Adora's house just feels so like. Southern plantation, even though it's not a plantation, but and like she you know, is you know.
2: sort of a Tennessee Williams character.
0: Yeah, like yeah. sort of. I mean, it feels it feels very Southern Gothic, absolutely. Yeah, she's Tennessee. like
2: horrible Amanda Wingfield, like Wingfield, if like <laughs> like, like to the end degree.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so we have this interesting thing that the show has decided to do, which is make the Kirk Lacey figure, um. Emma's teacher and Kirk Lacey, we talked about, we've seen him earlier in the season, like giving Camille a weird look at the funeral and then walking out of the bar when she's in the bar later, uh, in that same episode. Um, so I, I can't remember if we see his face. Yeah, we do in the flashback. Like he's involved in this memory camille has of her 15th birthday and so his discomfort around seeing um camille in town he's got this line to Emma where he says history is history Emma. you can't change it you can only learn from it so it feels like he had he's grappling with some bubbling remorse over his involvement in that and who he was at the time and, he- and seeing camille reminds him of of that yeah
2: And this is like a nice little kind of precursor to um, the sort of mission into the woods that Camille and Detective Dick go on, where they are, in fact, trying to learn from the past uh, or or learn from history uh, in their own way.
0: Right. And and this is what I mean when I talk about like this trio of relationships, because it feels like. The really direct comparison is like Adora and her weird relationship with Chief Vickery, which we'll get to. Yeah. And then there's Camille and her burgeoning relationship with Detective Dick. So like each of these two women have their relationship with law enforcement in town, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it's like a, a relationship of convenience as much as anything else in terms of them wanting to get information. Um, and but then you have Emma and her teacher which is another position of authority and like Emma being like obviously transgressive and like kind of Lolita-esque in the way in which she's approaching him uh don't be don't be sad Mr. Lacey sort of stuff so um you know that's an interesting like thing that is not at all uh, you know in the book that they've sort of brought up for the show yeah um and then we've got we've got another connection which is like John Keane coming home and finding his mom passed out from the alcohol uh grieving over you know his sister and this connection between John and Camille as people who lost sisters and uh who have mothers who are then like incapable of mothering them they have yeah. to mother their mothers um is There's an
2: especially high volume of drinking in this episode uh, which which is saying yeah. something for this show um, but they really like poured on the booze for this one.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and something that um, something that the show has started to do is shorthand. It reminds me actually of some of the um, I, I maybe you'll you'll know like the technical term for this, but it's a shorthand that Edgar Wright does a lot in his uh, films, where you just see like flashes of things, and it and it means something. Let me further explain that. Uh, in this, you get if you see the ringing of the bell on the store and then Camille sipping from her water bottle that means Camille has gone to the store to buy another pint of vodka has put it in a water bottle is now drinking it. Mm-hmm, do you know right. what i mean like that yeah yeah this kind of language just, yeah yeah and so it's just a two it's just two shots you just need like ring of the bell of the door Camille swigging her plastic bottle that's it we know Camille's back like on the sauce again every day so um but yeah, so, so as, as you said, we, we get this trip with Camille and Detective Dick into the woods, which he calls their first date. Um, what do you think of, of this?
2: Uh, yeah, I like it because I mean, you know, I like all this atmospheric family history stuff. It's really compelling. It's really interesting, but you know, this is also a detective story. This is a, you know, like I said, whodunit. So I like when the show after it's sort of really, you know, interesting, lyrical, elliptical, you know dips back into the past finds its sort of main center narrative again and we get some good old-fashioned exposition granted that exposition is camille talking about the past but it is still them back on the the the, the, the case
0: and the way in which it's um like framed like because you're watching the energy between amy adams and Christina, which i like so much um and even though these are like you know not undamaged people and you're not like expecting there to be like some sort of storybook happy ever after there's like there's this fun romantic tension between them right or sexual Mm -hmm. tension and so you're watching them deliver exposition about the case while like maybe rooting for them to kiss or whatever it is you do when you watch people with good sexual tension on a show and so that just adds some forward momentum to this pause and this case study sort of thing right so yeah uh, which I find very effective. Um, But then we get, we get this like disturbing thing and it was, it was even more disturbing to me in the book th- when Camille talks about her sexual assault, like, or whatever you want to call it. But uh, in the book, it's, it's barely rates a mention. And the show is making a bit more of a, of a meal out of it. But like that Camille on her 15th birthday in the show, um, basically was passed around between a bunch of, I think it's football players. Um, as part of like a pre-game ritual or whatever, they pick yeah. a, a lucky girl, a lucky cheerleader, whatever it is, and they they pass her around. The show, the episode, never shows that exactly, but you get what you get. Instead, is this really interesting shot of like Camille studying these bugs in the ground. You get these guys in like soft focus behind her, and she talks about like this ritual. And Detective Dick is like, "Is this you?" And she's like, "Well, is that rape?" Like. Is that a double standard to call it rape? What is it? You know, et cetera. So like, what, what do you think of all of this, the way in which the show is treating it visually and this question of like, is, is Dick allowed to tell her that she's been sexually assaulted if she does not want to view it that way?
2: Yeah. It reminded me of another recent HBO thing with a great actress at the center, uh, which is the tale, the Jennifer Fox film starring Laura Dern uh, that I caught at Sundance uh, and that aired on HBO, I believe at the end of May um which is about a woman in her adulthood looking back at a child i mean younger than i mean significantly younger than 15 like a childhood sort of sec, like um sexual assault uh that she at the time she you know as a as a kind of like early adolescent sort of lied to herself into thinking was a relationship with this older man um and so the movie is all about her kind of assessing that and 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 being sort of told by the outside world like no that was Assault, And she never processed it that way. So I guess it kind of raises this question as does this scene in some sense of like, how much of, uh, you know, how much does perspective matter? How much does one sort of like the way that one processes that experience or classifies that experience, uh, you know, compared to how the outside world views it? I'm not trying to say that, like, you can excuse away anything like this because that person didn't name it you know, or didn't call it rape, but like, I don't know. I just think it's an interesting sort of, um, study in perspective or something or, or, and, and certainly in, in, uh, in memory and the power of, of repression and how we can delude ourselves into, um, softening bad things that happened to us in the past, because surely that wouldn't have that, you know, nothing that severe happened to me.
0: Right. And like remembering, um, something that, that, uh, the Laura Dern, um, film does is, Like, remembering herself at different ages, like finding out the truth and then like the past changes and all of that sort of stuff. And so I'm just interested to see like, if what Camille remembers changes over the course of this episode or this season or not. Um, and if we'll be able to notice it, because like the way in which Valet is treating memory, you know, the, we get these flashes of things that like are at times quite disorienting. Um, in a way that I don't mind, but in a way that like if there is something significant about our memory that changes, um, I might need some extra help f- visually making sure that I get that that's a different memory does that make sense
2: yeah totally um can we also talk, talk about something um that bugged me literally um <laughs> yeah. richard's bug corner
0: yeah bug corner
2: what the fuck are those bugs like w- do they have bugs like that in southeastern missouri like they look like Char- like Alice in Wonderland bugs, didn't it? Am I crazy?
0: These like crazy spotted beetles, sort of. Things? They
2: were so big, and like yeah. they just looked like fair, like I don't know, something out of a children's book. um It made me not want to go into the woods down in in Wind Gap or anywhere nearby.
0: Guess what? I don't think you should go to the wind the woods in Wind Gap anyway. To be nah, honest with you, all this-, all this all that's waiting for you there is like a shack with porno and dried meat. So, um- oh my, shack is there? That's right. I
2: forgot I had my. <laughs> But i bought yeah. that property
0: yeah you're you're jerky and porno corner but um, yeah with all
2: the money i made from the westworld podcast you know uh...
0: <laughs> but so the um what i want to say about that is that if someone wants to write into still watching pod at gmail.com and let us know exactly what kind of bugs those are uh I oh please
2: will... yeah don't send us pictures though. i don't want to look at the bugs again just give us names
0: <laughs> I will. i will read the descriptions aloud to richard um but yeah so we we got that flashback. There's also like, you know, the, the triggering, um, aspect of the shed, which we've already, like, we've already seen that shed once. We see it again, like Dick, like quite wisely is like, did, you know, did something happen to you in that shed? Uh, the way you did not want to go in there. Um, apparently that's where Anne and Natalie liked to play like you do as, as children. So, um, and then this is followed by like their first sexual encounter, which, um, she adheres to the sage rules of, of Julie Roberts and Pretty Woman, which is no kissing. Yeah. Um, hand stuff only and, and sort of takes control of the, of the encounter in a way that like he will not be able to see any of her skin. Uh, he won't be able to see her scars in the way in which she has decided this is going to go down. So, uh, what, what did you think of this?
2: Yeah. I thought it was handled interestingly. Um, <laughs> if only because, uh, it's for my count, Amy Adamson's second standing manual sex scene, uh the the first being when she from behind masturbated Philip Seymour Hoffman in the Master in their bathroom. I had so.
0: forgotten about that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. So I'm glad that she's the one getting service this time. Sure. That's, that's a, that's a good, and that they're looking at each other. There's a, or they're at least facing each other. That's, that feels a little more intimate. Um, although she's looking into the mirror in the master. Anyway. Um, but no, I, I think that the, um, I think this was well handed. I think it was, you know, there was a certain physicality to it that, um, felt, realistically stilted and a little and awkward like i think a lot of times um sex scenes on film because they want them to look good just it's like no i don't feel like people really like move that way or 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 sort of you know it naturally sort of can read each other's minds and bodies so easily like i think there's there's a little bit of a you know kind of a
0: a learning curve, so
2: yeah, of and thing. I think yeah. that, so I think that the scene which is like strange, the physicality of it is odd um makes makes sense because people are odd
0: um yeah i i I think that's right that like especially for a first encounter, like um dick uh as played by Messina, is like you know sort of taken aback by this uh unusual ish request from Camille, which is like, no kissing, let's go straight to this sort of thing, uh, you're gonna do as I say, and that's it, um. And the, the kissing thing, I wanted to sort of hop back to something I, I breezed past that I know that you want to talk about, which is this Tupac, uh, scene that we get just before this. Um,
2: oh, yeah. I know you uh, tweeted about it. <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, no one told me when we started this podcast, no one told me that we would have a scene in which, <laughs> in which Patricia Clarkson sways in a kitchen, a a, a softly lit kitchen, while Tupac's Dear Mama plays, and a teenager like grasps her. It was just such an odd scene. But also, I don't know, humanizing, because you would almost think that Adora would be like, turn that off. Right. Right? But she doesn't. Well, she's,
0: um, yeah, she indulge, I think she'll like indulge the girls like Marion and Emma who at least present as compliant to her wishes. Yeah. So the ways, the way in which Emma like will dress up like a doll for, uh, Adora means that Adora will re- like give her affection in return. Um, the, that scene triggers, um, Camille to think about. This moment where she, she wanted to go into her mom's room and she couldn't, but she sees Gayla, uh, you know, k- kissing her mother. And then she flashes also to Adora kissing Emma and this idea that like probably Camille got no kisses from her mother. And yeah. so this idea of like Adora and her kisses and the way in which that sort of splashes over into, uh, you know, Camille not wanting to kiss, uh, Detective Dick, at least at first, like is, is just one of those, one of those like quite, subtle but interesting connections that did pop up to me at least until like the second time through watching it so uh so yeah and and so while camille is having this lovely woodsy date uh that you know where we talk about like rape and terrible town history and uh lesbian dead lesbians and all sort of stuff um Adora is entertaining a visitor, which is Vickery. This is another like impotent moment for Alan where Alan's like, Adora's is not seeing anyone. And Emma's like, yeah, forget it. Come on in. And, and like, then he has to fetch drinks and he says, your usual, which just implies that Vickery's over there a lot. And Alan is just shunted into this uh servant position. But the, another one of those great cuts is like, you see Camille bite into detective Dick's shoulder as she's like, as he's going to town on her. And then you see the bite mark on Alan's hand, From when he was like screaming into it last week. Mm -hmm. And then, and then he asks about Adora's hand because no one's asking about Alan's hand. And he asks about her, about her hand. And Adora's just like, and then then Patricia Clarkson has this amazing line read where Vickery's looking at her hand. She goes, Ow, the roses. Yeah. It's great. Oh, it's just so great. So what do you think of this like Vickery Adora relationship?
2: Um, it's odd. And I, 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 um, I have to say, I don't remember it being in the book. Um, And if it's an addition, it's... I I don't really quite know that we need it, to be frank. Um, Matt Craven's a great actor. Uh, I like his scenes with Detective Dick a lot and with um, Camille. But this... I just feel like so much of the show with some minor digressions is interior to Camille. Yeah. That having this much stuff that she is not present for involving adora and whoever else like it takes me out of the heady kind of you know memory loop mood that valet has so effectively created elsewhere
0: yeah i will agree in terms of uh the alan stuff in this episode i think there's just like a little too much alan stuff for my taste in this episode uh and that's all sort of part and parcel of what you're talking about because alan is just like like adora at least is like it's good to have her mood as we get this confrontation between her and Camille when Camille does get yeah. home. Yes. But like the ex- the extraneous Allen stuff, I'm like, I'm not sure that I need all of that, you know? Yeah. Um, but so we do get this confrontation, a lot of which is, is sort of ripped directly from the book. Um, except in the book, I think she she goes even harder. She says something, she says like, Camille comes home and Adora goes, I think I finally realized why I don't love you, (laughs) which is something that they decided to not like swing that much for the fences, uh, in the show. But you still, you get this like very hard scene, um, between Adora and Camille where Adora talks about like how Camille is a baby because she who was like, she was like a teenager when she had Camille because she didn't know how to take care of Camille. It made her feel foolish and like a child, she says, and Camille rightly says you were a child. And that seems to be some of the source of her anger towards Camille is like, I thought if I was, if I was a mother, my mother would love me and you would love me. And none of that happened. And like, and dot, 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 the like, that's why I have treated you like shit your whole life. <laughs> um, what did you think of this conversation?
2: Oh, I mean, it's just like brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and very well acted. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, again, with the kind of characters becoming cartoony, I think that, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I think that, Hopefully, this is the highest we get in terms of antagonism on the show. In a way, um, it's been well established how you know how people relate to one another. Um, but I wouldn't. I think this is about as believably human as I am willing to accept. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know.
0: The thing, the thing I liked the most about the scene is you know, like Adora comes in for the kill. Basically, is like yeah, um, and. Amy Adams allows Camille to be so vulnerable when she she says, like, what, mama? And she's, like, trembling. Mm-hmm. Um, God,
2: adults calling their parents mama or some variation, like, a mo- yeah. m- mama with an O or just, you know, MAMA. For some reason, I don't know what's – maybe it's, like, some play I saw when I was a kid or something. That just, like, devastates me. It's the most, like, vulnerable, sweet but kind of sad thing. Like, this plaintive mama. I don't know.
0: Yeah. And then Adora says, you smell ripe. (laughs) It's just like, (laughs) yeah. Uh, yeah. And thus giving us our, our episode title. I don't think we, I don't think we see that word on her. um, No. Should we talk
2: about Calhoun Day?
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We've not spoken about that.
2: So this is, but this is the event to honor this, the the Civil War hero or whatever the town, you know, mascot, uh, that Vickery wants canceled because it's going to be, um, you know, all of these potential suspects and all of these potential victims all kind of together. And they just think it's going to be chaos. I'm assuming that means we're going to get a Calhoun day episode.
0: Yeah, I, b- I believe we are. I haven't seen it, but, um, I think, uh, Gillian Flynn, when she was talking to me, referenced, like, the Calhoun episode. So I okay. think we're going to get a Calhoun Day episode. Uh, they've been, like, dropping seeds for it. We've seen, like, posters and stuff like that. And, like, also Jackie talked about in this episode where she was like, yeah, all those sp- suspects and all that, what, like, young flesh <laughs> crawl. So it's, yeah. like, something that Adora hosts at their house. Some right. Traditional thing, uh, and this is the poster that we saw. I think in episode one, said so is like the fiftieth anniversary. So right. this is this is the fiftieth Calhoun Day. Uh, so presumably something something big is going to go down. I would yeah. guess on Calhoun Day.
2: Speaking of young flesh and going down,
0: mm. <laughs> Ashley we, and John have a our, scene together. Our, our fave Ashley is back. Uh, yeah. Ash, Ashley giving an ineffectual hand job. That yeah. to. yeah,
2: which is a common a common teenage thing
0: ineffectual handjobs yeah yeah. so john leaves uh i feel so bad for ashley once again i just really love this character um you know she she like tries to get him to stay saying like you you can like put it inside me or whatever and then she like
2: which is just like the height of like oh god like that's just like you're just laying it out there (laughs) yeah it's
0: um and then and then she like has to like clean everything she uses like bleach and stuff she scrubs herself later uh you know to 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 cleanse herself and and as opposed to like the extra alan stuff like i will take all extra ashley stuff yeah the cleaning thing
2: did confuse me i'll I'll admit i wasn't sure what that was all about it was just it was just that she felt dirt like dirty from this encounter
0: i mean i i don't know if like this is something that she does for him and she's trying to do stuff that right. will like cheer him up, but it's so that like makes the ineffectualness of it like all that much sadder for her. But I think in the earlier scene in the in the Ladies Who Lunch scene, um, one of the ladies says something like, you know, perfect little Ashley Wheeler like right. is with this guy. You know, so it's sort of like she's not an Emma. She's not like someone who necessarily is having sex as a teenager. Um but, like, she's so desperate to try to reach John, who's so removed from her now that she's, like, you know, offering him handjobs or sex or whatever, and then feels bad and unclean about it, is sort of my take on it. You shouldn't feel bad, Ashley. You should feel fine. Um, except maybe don't date John. Um, so like john leaves he's like he goes out to the ball field he's being followed you think it's all suspicious but we find out that he's just like going to like get a spider to replace the one that was missing uh from his sister's room that camille let out um and camille sort of rushed to get out of the house because of uh all the stuff that adora said to her goes to the bar and she and john have a scene where you know they bond over having dead sisters she lies. He asks her if she knew that his sister collected spiders and she's like, no, uh, which is a lie, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, and they have this like sort of connection. So, um, I don't like, how are you feeling about this John Camille interaction stuff?
2: Um, I'm curious to see where it's going, you know, yeah. Yeah. cause it's obviously going somewhere. Um, I, they wouldn't have, I feel like the John character around, quite as much if it wasn't obviously um, I think he's a good actor um, and I hope that it means we get a little more Ashley
0: um, anything for more Ashley a couple a couple of things before we wrap up uh, something I blew past before which is like when the curry call that we get this week um, hashtag curry call is um, from chemotherapy so it's a curry chemotherapy call um and that sort of just confirms something that you and i have been suspecting with all the medication and the coughing which is that curry is deeply sick and not telling camille about it so um that's just a little like definitely camille needed more sadness in her life so there's that um dick says something about like how the pulled teeth are indicative of someone who feels out of control wanting to exert control so like i think all the stuff we get with like alan with John Keene with Bob Nash sort of feels in response to that. And so speaking of which, we get like a bit more Alan before we go, which is Alan playing some jazz on the piano. uh, But then also Alan putting Riders of the Storm by the Doors on, Mm -hmm. uh, which includes the lyrics which play over the scene, gotta love your man. So he's like, um, maybe the Doors will convince Adora that uh, she needs to be nicer to me but they have this weird interaction that is just like it's so off-brand for alan from the books because alan from the book is like so so camille's like lapdog and so adora's laptop to the point where he is like tells camille she's the problem and in this episode you get quite the reversal because like adora is blaming camille she's like this is all camille's fault and he's like everything isn't that girl's fault and you know it and that's not it's, that's not a voice of support Camille ever had in the book. So, like, this Alan who, like, puts uh, birthday cakes uh, together for her and defends her to Adora is, like, a very different Alan. We also get Alan looking at his gun and then Alan, like, going into Adora's room and having his way with her, which is just, like, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that at all.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think it's trying to. Um, further complicate the show's already plenty complicated psychosexual kind of milieu, you know, and I just, I feel like it's such a, a carefully connected, um, system, uh, with the kind of, you know, main characters from the book and on the show that to kind of introduce Alan into it, to make a comment that maybe doesn't need to be made, um, feels a bit like a misstep
0: yeah i I think once again like we said with a few other things i'm curious to see where it will all be going sure um, yeah and uh so we will see but but uh, yeah it's not i'm kind of like as opposed to a lot of other elements where i'm like yes this added element feels like a puzzle piece that that i was missing and i love having in here this i'm like i'm not sure yet how this fits into everything so i guess i'll wait and see um two more things one we get another one more jackie scene which is vickery going up to jackie and asking like what he doesn't know about the preaker girl girl. um and i think this is the sexual assault thing coming up like i'm i wager you that jackie knows about it um and like like i don't think he knows that's what he's asking about but like i think the reason he's asking is like dick early in the episode was like the preaker woman knows something and I'm going to get it from her. And right. I feel like Vickery, in order to beat him, was like, Oh, I will go straight to the source, which is Adora and Adora will tell me. And then, uh, I will know everything, but he doesn't get it from Adora. So he goes to Jackie. He's like, What is Adora not telling me about Camille? And then Jackie's like, You're not getting it from me either. Yeah. So sorry, you know.
2: So are, is the, con- are, are we supposed to kind of connect that the, this thing that happened with these football players on her birthday? Happened in the shack, or were there two separate things?
0: I think, it, like, n- at least near the shack.
2: Okay. Okay. Shack um, adjacent.
0: Shack adjacent. <laughs> um, we didn't see her in the shack, but like the bug stuff could have been happening, like, just outside the shack. Sort
2: of right. Thing, right. Right. Know? Right.
0: Um, speaking of
2: the shack, we yes. find out that not only, uh, were the murder girls f- f- frequenters of the shack, so was Emma.
0: That Emma, like, hung out with Anna and Natalie, and that they all hung out at the shack together. And this yeah. makes Camille worried that, like, Emma's the next victim. So she goes running around looking for her, and we get a bunch of weird flashes. We get, like, Detective Dick looking around the shack. Yeah, it we goes kind of crazy. Yeah, we get Camille imagining that Emma has died. We get all the stuff going on. We get the Alan stuff. And then we get uh this final shot, which is an echo of last week's final shot, which is, like... uh Emma in the headlights the way that, like, we saw Marion and um, poor dead Alice uh, caught in car lights. The ghosts of them caught in car lights last week. This time it's Emma alive caught in the car light as one of her hoodlum friends shoots a hole uh, in a stop sign. So uh there we go the last thing i want to talk about before we get to the spoiler section which as i said we will definitely be like warning you of is my favorite shot of the episode i think which we did not talk about is this one of young camille going home and lighting one candle for herself in that cave mm. yeah um and just having like sophia lillis the actress like just silently give us this like girl reckoning with this thing that she's does because like you know we, we haven't talked about like why because camille like Went there knowing she was going to do this, right? So, like, why would young cheerleader Camille do this? And like, my answer would be in pursuit of an affection she felt starved of from, uh, like, at home, right? That, right. That would Which be, is why a I lot don't... of
2: people put themselves uh, into certain sexual situations. You know, um, it's a it's a means, it's a hope for connection, and 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 you know, so often it ends. Or, you know, it turns into something, um, tragic and, you know, not consensual and all that. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, this episode's a lot. I feel like this episode expands, uh, its psychology quite a bit, even as it clarifies the, the, like, the literal history. Um, so I don't know. I wonder, you know, i'll be curious to hear from viewers and you know whoever else uh critics whoever um how this show does on on those merits you know like if it handles this responsibly is this kind of exploitative is it you know or is it um you know to compare it to the tale which i think really you know it's such a personal movie like really does do something pretty important um I'm, i'm curious where sharp objects falls on that spectrum
0: yeah, and the thing I will say is that I'm actually very appreciative that the show is taking a little bit more time with the storyline because once again, it really kind of weirded me out that the in the book it's like three lines. Yeah, and um, I think I talked in the spoiler section last week, like though we can talk about it a bit more openly this week because it's I've been shown on the screen, but like I, I was like, well, maybe in the book, like the idea is that Camille has all this damage under the surface that we don't even get to, including this like teenage encounter with all these guys where she's passed around. Um And so I, so that's kind of effective, but I think it's even more effective the way the show is handling it, which is not to show it explicitly, but to just underline it a bit more for us, especially that like birthday cake candle shot, Um, I think is pretty powerful. Um, and I, I don't know if they're going to explore it more, if the Kirk Lacey stuff is going to become more important or not. Um, uh, we're about halfway through the, the season. So who knows? Before we head into the heart of Hog Heat spoiler territory, Richard, is there anything else you want to say about like the episode of the whole or the fact that we're halfway through or like what, you know, what you're feeling about everything?
2: Well, you know, I'll tell you, this is the first. Like this is the first episode in this run that I had that I hadn't watched before. Like I I watched it in preparation for this podcast, obviously, but like it was sort of one and a half viewings and. Um, it's the episode that kind of got away from me a little bit. Like, I think that maybe there was too much of the flashing or too many kind of character elements happening at once. I mean, we have Adora popping big. We have Amma popping big. You know, like we have a, we have this first sexual encounter between Detective Dick and, uh, Camille. And I just don't know that we could, that the episode could support Alan and Vickery stuff as well. You know what I mean? This episode felt, feels a little overstuffed to me. It feels, in fact, a little ripe overly right maybe <laughs>
0: um yeah i like yeah maybe a little overcooked maybe a little ambitious in sure but that's all, a, i
2: feel like a fair word yes
0: yeah in all the ways in which it's trying to expand out from camille and maybe we want to make sure we don't lose Camille as we're just, like, sort of pursuing John Keane and Alan and all these other people, you know, Um, to keep Camille at the center of everything. And I don't think we're at uh, danger of losing oh, her at no. the center of things yet, but, like, that is something that, like, could easily happen, I could see, especially given the, like, uh, sort of impressionistic way in which the story is told. You know, and I've never seen, like, because Valet, like... It, We, we've already compared this to Big Little Lies and Wild. And in Wild, it's what, like two hours less, right? But you're very much like in Reese's, Reese Witherspoon's character's head the whole time. It's a very similar thing, but there's like never a question of like whose head we're in that whole time. Mm -hmm. In Big Little Lies, that's spread out over four, for three to four women, you know, at any given time. um, This feels like sort of some sort of middle ground where, like, we're supposed to be so anchored in Camille's point of view. That's when the, like, weird words come up. That's when a lot of stuff happens is when we're in Camille's head. But then there is this attempt to sort of uh, broaden the story a bit more. And sometimes that's super successful and sometimes it's a little less so, I would say. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All right. I agree. All right. So we are now going to do spoilers and what wait richard remind me what are we spoiling in the spoilers section
2: oh the whole goddamn book
0: the whole goddamn thing all right so yeah listen-
2: so, so let's blare some dear mama by tupac maybe we'll get a refrain <laughs> of that and then it's time
0: dear mama maybe some pig noises then it's spoiler time yeah here we go <laughs> make
2: it make it happen dave
1: you all appreciate wow.
0: actually have a lot for the book spellers section this time um i would say that uh emma's friends uh jodes and the other one look genuinely scared uh when emma says like take one takes one to no one when like one of the girls calls kirk Lacey a freak and emma goes takes one to no one and i the girls look genuinely terrified as if to be like shit she could turn on us and be yanking our teeth out uh anytime soon <laughs> you know sort of thing. yeah exactly <laughs> um uh, Camille says this thing to Dick. She's like, how wing gap when they're on their lovely first date. She says, how wing gap of you, you figure out someone's secrets to use against them later. And Dick says, no, that's not my style. But based on what happens in the book, which is like Dick and Camille have this like pseudo relationship. She sleeps with John Keane. He finds out that he like does sort of turn on her. I could see that line. You figure out someone's secrets to use against them later uh paying off with dick like oh, throwing, yeah. throwing some shit in her face later yeah know? yeah uh, um that felt like a seed to me and then uh so Vickery says to adora one of your daughters is da- one of your daughters is dangerous and one is in danger uh he doesn't name which one but i would suspect that he has the wrong uh, <laughs> oh yeah yeah he should flip
2: that. that and reverse it
0: yeah uh so those are those are my <laughs> those are my book Moments, not much, not much here in Hoggy territory. Did you have anything that sort of struck you? Um,
2: as spoilery, um, no, not particularly. I am just kind of curious, like, we're now that we're halfway through, like, all right, are, is, is it ever going to start pointing toward Emma, or are we really just going to get that big clunk of a surprise at the very end? You know, um, I hope it's the latter in a way because that would mm. be more fun TV, um, but uh. But yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm also like starting to wonder if like maybe they've changed some of the ending.
0: They could have. Like, uh, Big Little Lies, it didn't like exactly change the ending, but they changed enough of the ending where like, um, like, well, I don't know if I want to spoil Big Little Lies in the spoiler section, but like the motivation behind someone doing something at the end of the Big Little Lies adaptation is is either like different or omitted enough that like it it helped to have some book explanation to help um, understand what happened at the end of Big Little Lies, season one. Yeah, um, And I would say in this, yeah, they could change stuff. I still think, like, what I expect, and once again, I have not seen these episodes, but, like, there's there's a really memorable section of the book that I've seen, like, flashes of in the trailer, which is, like, basically Camille goes to a party with Amma. Uh And mm. maybe that maybe that happens in the next episode because we know Camille's out there looking for Emma, and Emma's out with her friends. So like, if Camille's super worried about Emma, it makes a little bit more sense that she like goes to this high school party basically and gets like drunk and high with her. Right. Um. And then they wind up like going home and together, and and so you, I've seen some of that in the trailer with like the two of them sort of drunkenly making their way home. Um.
2: Yeah, but- I just had this concern with the Alan stuff. I was like. Are they going to have him like kill Adora like at, like when he finds out?
0: I thought he was going to commit suicide when I saw that gun on I was like is Alec going to yeah. kill himself in this episode? Like I don't know what's going on. I'm um, worried
2: that there, he's going to like it's going to be like he finally snaps when he finds out and kills her and it's supposed to be some sort of like justice and I'm just like I'm just like I'm I'm nervous about that.
0: yeah, I don't want that. I want Adora rotting forever in jail. Um but I imagine so we're going to have a party we have four more episodes. I imagine we're going to have a party episode. The Calhoun Day episode, I would guess the Calhoun Day episode ends with, uh, Adora getting arrested, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like on, yeah. on
0: the, her lawn as everyone is there watching and slow mo perp walked out of there or something like and, that.
2: Yeah. And, and Jackie smiling.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Contemptuously. <So that's- laughs> that's going to happen and then we're going to have the like a denouement episode that's the reveal of Emma so like then there's so then there's just like one question mark episode in that that would be my guess of how the the season's going to play out but um oh like the John Keane uh, Detective Dick stuff I guess is going to come so
2: no it's actually there's a bottle episode with Ashley
0: oh cool yeah is it just yeah. Ashley like cleaning all of her whites and making sure that they're like super white Ashley yeah shoes? it's just
2: her doing stuff and on Zelda Beth Broderick's there for a little bit um i wrote it i wrote this i forgot sorry i should have mentioned but um so i'm excited for that it's episode eight no sorry episode six i mean
0: episode six ashley bottle episode yeah stay (laughs) tuned all right uh in the meantime before we get to that ashley bottle episode richard where can people find you
2: um um you know just vf.com ryla's on twitter where are you
0: Uh, vf.com Joe wrote this on Twitter Uh, also out in the middle of the night looking for replacement tarantulas
2: Uh, yeah no shut up Jodes
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right we'll see you next time Ever wanted to go inside the Met Gala? I'm Cho Minardi, and this week on The Run-Through with Vogue, we take you inside the world's most exclusive and glamorous party. We'll talk about the best looks from the red carpet and everything that happened after. Listen to The Run-Through with Vogue wherever you get your podcasts.